welcome back, everyone, to the table of Fringe here on Fringes of the Faith. This is a podcast dedicated to the very weird and the very strange stuff that we sometimes find in the Bible and in the Christian faith. I'm Paul Henderson, administrative pastor at Capstone Church here in Benbrook, Texas, and sitting next to me in the captain's chair is Captain or Pastor. Parky Coburn, senior pastor here at Capstone. Well, how are you doing today? I'm fine. You know, your introduction uh, helped me to understand why I'm here, because we're talking about that, which is weird and strange. (laughs) So, hey, everybody, it's good to be with you today. Yes, it is. And so today we're going to talk about uh, expanding a little bit on uh, the last two episodes. And of course, if you remember, we talked about Enoch, the book of Enoch. and, And then the last episode, we talked about something that we call the Nephilim Code, Mm-hmm. Today, we're going to expand a little bit more and talk about the story in the Book of the Watchers a little more. We're going we're gonna to actually try to figure something out. We're going to try to figure out who these Nephilim, what these Nephilim are, okay. and, and more specifically, where did they come from? Hmm, I thought they came from a lab in China. <laughs> Is okay. that not right? I don't, I don't think they did. Okay. But, uh, you know, it kind of, it made me kind of think today about um, our lunch together for some reason. And do you know what I had for lunch today? A salad, I think. No, it was a big salad. Oh, a big salad. You you had the big salad. It was the big salad. Actually, you might even call it a giant salad. Wow. I don't think so, though. No, it wasn't that giant. No. So giant, saying I had a giant salad might be an exaggeration. I would say it's possible, yeah. Yeah. And in the Hebrew language and in the Middle East culture, exaggeration is a form of their communication style, just like it is with us today. Okay. Uh, it's a literary style. It's a tool that they use to really make a point, to bring uh, attention to something specific. And so not only in the Hebrew culture and in the Middle East culture, but we also see that in the Bible sometimes. That, uh, you know, some, you know, the author's trying to make a point and bring attention to a certain area by using exaggeration. Would you agree with that or disagree? Well, I'll tell you, send all of your <laughs> notes, cards, and letters of disagreement to Paul Henderson. <laughs> when I say exaggeration, <laughs> what I'm talking about is using descriptors, adjectives that we, oh. make, that we use in normal day language. Like me saying I had a big salad today. Well, that's all depending on your perspective. Oh, so perspective. Yes, yes. I've got that. Okay. Yes, kind of like the children of Israel when they saw the giants. You know, they said, we're, we're small, they're, we're like grasshoppers, and they're... So it was a matter of perspective. Could yeah. have been. It yeah. could have been. Yeah. All right, so what exactly are these Nephilim? Where did this term come from? And if they're giants, like what, you know, some have proposed, and we may propose that today, then... How did they reemerge after Noah's flood? Well, that, that's a great question. Yeah, that, these, that's one of the mysteries of, of the Bible. Yeah, and we're going to try to tackle that one, not with any mm-hmm. definitive answers, because no one knows except the Lord. But there are some clues that we can look at to, mm-hmm. to kind of formulate maybe some speculation. Okay? You, yeah. Are you okay with that? Yeah, I'm fine with that. You know, these are, uh, you've already said, that one of the things, some of the things we talk about here at Fringes of the Faith are, are things that are fun to talk about. They're fun. They may not, they won't change the status of anyone's salvation. 
That's right. You know, but they're fun to look at. They're mysteries of the faith. They're things that people like to discuss. And so this is one of those things. All right. Well, you want to know the funny thing, Pastor Parkey? What? When I started to do some research on the Nephilim and Mm -hmm. the origins, you know, I looked up the word Nephilim in the Strong's Exhaustive exhaustive Concordance. It's easy for me to say. It's easy for you to say. Strong's Exhaustive Concordance. And you know what it said? What did it say? It said, Sea Giants. Sea Giants. Sea Giants. So it referred you to the word for giants. Exactly. Okay. And so then I started to look at the word giant. And that is located in, and when I say S-E-C, what I'm saying, I'm not talking about the football conference. Right, right. I'm talking about Strong's Exhaustive okay. Coordinates, okay? Okay. So the word giant, uh, which is 5303 in the S-E-C, we find this word, nephil or nephil. Okay. And that means tyrant, a bully, and giant. It also points us to 5307, 7497, and 1368 in the SEC. And when you look at those words, we'll, we'll break that down for a second. 5307 is the word nafal. Okay. Okay? And that contains many meanings, most of which point to falling. It means like to be cast down or to be judged uh, to be a fugitive, but most scholars agree that the meaning relates to someone that has fallen or has been cast okay, down. Okay, so that's a little different meaning than just referring to someone's physical uh, size. Right, that is that is a little different. That, that actually mm-hmm. has a different meaning than yeah. giant. When you look at uh, SEC 7497, you find the word rafa. Okay, Rafa. A lot of people out there may have heard that before. Mm, not Rasta. No, not Rasta. <laughs> Rafa. Rafa. And there's no doubt that the word Rafa, uh, as, as we've talked about it before, uh, it, it indicates the size of something, correct? Mm, yeah, it's talking about size. Yeah, I'm, I'm, almost in every instance, yeah. right in the Old Testament where that word's used, it's it's referring to a physical size, I believe. It is. And when you look that word up in the concordance, it actually, the meaning is giant. That's the only meaning aside to that word. And it is used throughout the Old Testament uh, to describe um, people, ancestries, and Mm -hmm. um, descendants, but it also describes a territory in Israel known to be inhabited by the Rephaim. Mm -hmm. And the Rephaim... If you think about that word, it is closely associated with the Nephaim. Yes. And what do we know about Hebrew? Well, we know that if your word ends in I am, that means it's plural. Right. It is plural. Mm -hmm. And one of the most famous Raphaim in the Old Testament is this dude. We don't know a lot about him, but his name is mentioned quite a lot. Is Anak. Mm -hmm. Anak. And he's referred to many times as being a descendant of the Raphaim. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. So if Anak, when you see Anak in the Old Testament, just know that he is a descendant of the Raphaim or giants. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. When we look at SEC 1368, we find this word Gibor. Okay. It's a little, that's a different word. Different word. This word means warrior, champion, okay. a chief, mighty, strong, and giant. Oh, interesting how it's linked 
all of all of these are linked by that word giant. That's that's interesting. But it, they all have slightly different core meanings. It does, and they're really not at all that helpful when you no, look at it as a whole <laughs> to try to solve this question of who these Nephilim really are. It's not when they throw giant in. Uh, you know, because that's one thing they all have in common. And maybe you say, well, that makes it easier to understand. You know, it's talking about size. But but there are some disparities as well as to what these words mean. They, you know, looking at different aspects. So you're right. It, you could say it's helpful a little, but then... Really, I don't. I don't think it's all helpful. <laughs> no, not not to provide any definitive answers. No, uh-uh. um, because some say, without a doubt, they're giants. Mm-hmm. Some say that they're the offspring of the fallen angels. Some say they're the fallen angels themselves because of that word that nofal that refers to someone that has been cast down. And Very some say that they're nothing more than a bunch of bad humans that were bullies mm-hmm. and tyrants going around killing people. Yeah, I don't know if I believe that one. but yeah. um, You'd have to be along the lines of the Sethian theory, I think. Yeah, uh, I think so. To believe that. If you don't know what we're talking about, look it up. You'll find a lot of things on the Sethian theory. So what do we know about Scripture when it contains unclear references in these certain passage, uh, passages? What's the, what's the very first rule of interpreting Scripture? Uh, you, let, you use Scripture, is what I'm trying to say. You use Scripture to interpret Scripture. So what would we do? What would be our next step here in, in, in searching for this potential possibilities of the Nephilim? Well, what we would want to do, would we would either want to do a search in the Bible to find where else those words are used, or we would want to uh, uh, find corresponding uh, subject, a corresponding subject to that one and see if there's any link between them. Yeah. So let's look. Let's see if there are any other places in the Bible mm-hmm. that uses these words nephil or nephal or rapha or gibor. Okay. I think also, too, we need to see how they're used mm-hmm. when we see them in other places and in what context so we can get a better idea right. of the literal and the cultural use in order to determine the meaning of these words, because Hebrew is a very, very complicated language. It is. It, it, it's complicated uh, it's not an easy, easy language to learn, um, but uh, uh, you you do when you're trying to interpret scripture and when you're looking to try to study throughout scripture common themes or things uh, of that nature. Then uh, uh, you do uh, that's actually doing that type of Bible study is the best way to find out what the Bible's trying to say because the Bible has a tendency to interpret itself. It has that fa- that life kind of within it. So uh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm no, gonna, and I'm that's by des- that's by design. Yes, exactly. That's by because it serves as a witness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the actual word giant occurs in the Bible, our Bible, eight times. Okay. Uh, the plural word. The plural word. I'm having a hard time with these words today. Oh, that's okay. Giants occurs thirteen times. Okay. So. Um, of the 21 times that the word giant and giants occur, 17 of them refer to the Strong's Exhaustive Concordance 7497, which is the word Rafa. So the majority of them use the word Rafa. And we know now Rafa means giant. Yes. And if I remember correctly, most of those references refer to size. They do. 
Mm-hmm. So let's look at some of these passages, not all of them. Okay. Let's just look at a few of them to mm-hmm. determine the context here of, of how this word Rapha has been used, or giant. So First Chronicles chapter 20, verse 4 says, A war broke out in Gazar with the Philistines, at which time Sebechai the Hushathite killed Sepai, who was one of the sons of the Rapha. Sons of the Rapha. So he's a son of one of the giants. Sons of one of the giants, and that may even tell us, as you said early, earlier, excuse me, that may even tell us what area he came from. Yes, as a matter of fact. Because there was an area in Israel that seems to be named after these folks because they lived there. Yes, the as territory. You said, as you said. Rephaim. They would mm-hmm. refer to it as Rephaim. Mm-hmm. Um, in verse 6 of the same chapter, First Chronicles chapter 20, it says this, Yet again, there was a war at Gath, where there was a man of great stature, with 24 fingers and toes, six on each hand and six on each foot. And he also was born to the Rapha. Okay. So now we have uh, another description. This time, um, believe it or not, I mean, it's kind of unbelievable, but here it is in black and white. A, a man that had six fingers on each hand mm-hmm. and six toes on each foot mm-hmm. and was also born to a giant. Exactly. Yes, he had a genet- he had a mutation of some sort. And I, I don't want to, you know, some people are born with mm-hmm. extra digits or, mm-hmm. or missing a digit sometimes. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to glorify that as being there's something wrong with that person. But this person was a, was a, was a, was a, had some distinguishing characteristics. Something different about mm-hmm. this person. Not only was this person great in stature, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, in the, in the original language talks about size. It doesn't talk about, you know, their character. It talks yeah. about the size. Right. And um, they had something unique about them and different. So let's continue in verse 8. And it says, These were born to the Rapha in Gath, and they fell by the hand of David and by the hand of his servants. So these were born to the giants in Gath. So there was more than one. That's a plural word. Mm-hmm. There were more than because one. Because it's been describing uh, several, yes. several of these uh, people. So, oh, okay. okay. And, and, you know, when we hear David's name, mm-hmm. automatically we start thinking about David and, and his giant. Goliath, yes. Goliath. Uh-huh. And that is found in 1 Samuel chapter 17, Verses 4 and 5, and it says this, And a champion went out from the camp of the Philistines. Mm-hmm. His name is Goliath from Gath. Same so place, apparently same Gath, area. Gath is, a, is a collection of mm-hmm. the Rapha, or the Raphaim. And it says, uh, His name was Goliath from Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. And I looked that up, and that's, it's about nine foot um, it's almost 10 foot, actually. Mm, yeah. It's 9.7 feet right. in height. So it's almost mm-hmm. 10 feet. It's pretty yes. tall. Yes. It says he had a bronze helmet on his head, and he, he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of his coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze, and that equals about 125 pounds just for the coat of mail that he's wearing. That's uh, pretty heavy. You know, those of you from the South, uh, some of you guys – ladies too have been able to buy things in bulk you know i'm not saying they don't do that in the north i I live in the south but you know 
have you ever tried to pick up a hundred pound sack of, of pinto beans or even, something? Even fifty pounds. Yeah, it's I mean it, it's heavy. Right. And so what's interesting is when you get to the end of this epic mm-hmm. fight, David of course kills Goliath, mm-hmm. and then in verse fifty one it says this: When the Philistines saw that their champion, now here's the thing. Here's the word that's used for champion. It's SEC 1368, which is Gibor. And Gibor, we said, meant? Which means mighty, strong, champion, giant. Okay. When the Philistines saw that their champion, their Gibor, which could mean any one of those things, was dead, they fled. Mm-hmm. All right? And then, you know, the one that everybody wants to look at, and this is really kind of the catalyst for the topic today, is Genesis 6. Yes. The Genesis 6 for account. Right. Here it is. There were giants on the earth in those days, the days before Noah's flood, and also afterward, when the sons of God, the watchers, came into the daughters of men, human women, and they bore children to them. Those were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. Okay, what are those words? You know, you're talking about uh, mighty men. Mm-hmm. You're talking about men of renown. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, what, what do all those words mean? Well, let's break it down. The okay. word used here for giants, okay. when, they, when there were giants in the, in the earth in those days, right. is the word nephil, and that's from SEC 5303. Right. Nephil, which we know means giant. Okay. This is where we get the word nephilim. We talked about it before. In Hebrew, when you end a word with I-M, it is a plural sense. That's We get the word nephilim from the word nephil, mm-hmm. meaning more than one giant, okay? From this passage, we learn that in the days before the flood, the days of Noah, that the Nephilim existed. Yes. All right? The difficult part here, though, to decipher has to do with where did these Nephilim come from? Mm, That's the hard part. Right. A hard part to know, and there's been, oh my goodness, so much uh, talked about on this subject, so much written, and it, it is a very interesting subject. It is, and I think, you know, there, there is, there is a, a real plausible theory out there, mm-hmm. and we're gonna we're gonna kind of dive into that. I'm not saying it is. I'm not saying right. this is it. I'm so, just saying that of all the theories out there, this one makes the most sense. It's, okay. more, it's more plausible. So let's go back to this uh, Genesis six four account. Of course, we know there were giants in the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men. Now let's break that phrase down a little bit. When we see the phrase, and also after, when, we have to allow the sense of this phrase to rule the interpretation. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, because when the sense, when the sense makes common sense, mm-hmm. all right, then there's no sense in adding in any other sense, right. which would produce nonsense. Yes. So if it makes exactly. sense, if it makes sense, if it's common sense, then let's go with that interpretation. So the, the common sense of the phrase afterward when the angels, okay, you ready? So the common sense of afterward when the angels had sex with human women and the women bore children to them, yeah. these, the children that they bore, were the mighty men. The, yes. the word used here for mighty men is 1368, which is gibor, mm-hmm. meaning mighty, strong, champion, giants, who were of old. Here's where it gets interesting. The word old used here in the Hebrew language is the word olam, mm-hmm. and that's SEC fifty seven sixty nine. I'm saying this for anybody that wants to follow along yeah, in, their, to look it in up. their concordance. So the word olam actually means eternal. 
a.k.a. immortal. Mm -hmm. Isn't that interesting? That is very interesting. And then we know that they were men of renown. Now, that word renown in Hebrew is Shem, and that's in SEC 8034. And uh, here's the interesting part. Shem, most people think, you know, renown means of fame, right? Well, yeah, I would think so. They were famous. Mm -hmm. They were probably infamous. We've, I've heard that one before, too. Yes, infamous mm -hmm. might be a better word to have translated that uh, as, uh, of course, infamous back when, this, when the Bible was translated or whatever this was. It might not have been something that, we, that was used all the time. Yeah, there's probably weren't a whole lot of people there that rose to yeah. infamy. Yeah, exactly. All right, but here's the interesting thing is another meaning for the word shem is shame. Shame. Men of shame. Men of shame. Okay, eternal, immortal. Eternal, immortal. Uh, mighty men, strong, champion giants who were of old. Uh, Olam, eternal, immortal. Men of renown, infamy, um, you know, or shame. And then we have a, uh, okay, so we have a description. We do. Of these people. Then you we do. also have a, a causative link. Okay, mm -hmm. which means what you said, which means these men were products of, of these sons of God mm -hmm. going into, into women and yes. producing offspring by them. Yes. So we have the causative, we have mm -hmm. the cause and the effect, mm -hmm. and, and then we have a description of what was produced. Yes, we do. So if you, if you use common sense, mm -hmm. if you just let it speak for itself, um, and there are other scriptures supporting the contextual terms used here, mm -hmm. and we've already gone over some of those. Rapha being giant, right. uh, Gibor meaning the same thing. So let's piece this together just using the common sense, okay? Okay. You ready? I'm going to say it like this. There were giants on the earth in those days and also afterward when the angels had sex with human women impregnating them, and the women bore children to them. These children were the immortal giants, the men of shame. Okay. It gives us a little bit clearer picture. It does. Yeah. Uh, a little bit clearer picture, not, not just of, of, what, of what was produced physically. Yeah, yeah, that it helps that. But also what their character was and a little bit about their nature, okay, their um, ancestry. Um, mm -hmm. So that, that's, a really good inter that's a really good translation. Yeah, and I think that makes the most sense. Now, I'm not mm -hmm. saying that's what it is. Yeah. Again, this is speculation, but when you just let when you let scripture interpret itself and you go and you dig into the actual meaning of the words used, then you start to kind of develop more of an idea of maybe what the authors were trying to convey. Mm -hmm. It's very hard to translate Hebrew into English. You know, the the goal the goal of the writers and the goal of most writers, uh, any writer, should be to make clear what they're trying to communicate. You don't want to complicate something. You want to make the meaning clear. These, these folks that have written this have done the best job uh, that they could to write down what they were seeing, being told, being uh, told by the Spirit, or, or what was being translated back to them by, by, by someone who had seen. Mm -hmm. So uh, their goal, you, we do have to remember, their goal is not to complicate it. it, it translation in and of itself can be a difficult thing. 
It, it can. From, and, from one language to another. It can. And, and the interesting part, too, is in the Bible, we know that in the Bible that when symbolism is used, yes. it's very clear that it's, sim, it's symbolism. Yes, Okay. very much. This isn't symbolism. No. This, isn't, this is a straightforward explanation. This is history. Right. This is a straightforward explanation of what happened mm-hmm. during uh, this particular time. None of the rest of, of you, well, another uh, biblical rule of, uh, of translation or interpret- interpretation is don't take something out of context. That's right. And so you, if, you t- if you say, well, this is symbolic, well, the rest of uh, the passage that it's lying in, the rest of the story, uh, is not symbolic. Right. So, I mean, it's all literal. It's all what happened. This is what happened. Mm-hmm. And so we have no reason to take that in any way symbolic. Right. Because, because it's in, in passages that are literal, that are just explaining to us what was. Exactly. Yeah. And so here we are. We're left with these children that were half spirit, half human, mm-hmm. chimeras, basically. They were the Nephil, the Nephilim on the earth in the days before Noah's flood. Yes. And if you remember, in the last episode, we talked about the purpose and the agenda behind the watchers or the fallen angels impregnating women. And, you know, one of the possibilities that we talked about was they did this to prevent the bloodline of the Messiah mm-hmm. from being pure. We talked about that pure. The word pure is tamayin, mm-hmm. which means unblemished, and it talks about physical characteristics, not behavioral. And we know that God sent a great flood to destroy all air-breathing creatures, including these Nephilim, okay, Mm -hmm. in order to exert his authority. It's his authority, his control over keeping the bloodline pure through Noah. Mm -hmm. And we know that. We talked about that. We did. And we know from using the correct interpretations of the Hebrew language that Noah, it says Noah was Tamayim Mm -hmm. in his Generations, and we know that Tamayim means unblemished in the physical context. Mm-hmm. Okay, and the word in his generations, we learned that that the word used there was door, which means bloodline. And when you put those together, what we see is Noah had Tamayim or pure, unblemished blood. Now, when you look at that in the context of science, I would say, and you can, you know, I'd love to get your your thoughts, but I would say that what the possibility they're talking about is his bloodline or his DNA had not been corrupted by the Nephilim, by the, the code, the, the corrupted genetic mutation that occurred between uh, the, you know, the, the women of the earth uh, giving birth to these chimera-type beings. I think, I think that's a, a very plausible uh uh, interpretation or translation from what we have. Now, as Pastor Paul is talking about that, no one's saying he wasn't a righteous man as well. No one's saying that, you know, he didn't follow God, that he didn't love God, that he was a follower of the Lord. What What is being said there is, is, is there more? Mm-hmm. Is there more to that? Well, and what you said, that he was righteous, and he followed the Lord, uh, that's why Noah found favor. Yeah, it wouldn't have been necessarily because of his bloodline. Because if right. he, if he would have been a sinner, uh, then he would have not been a candidate. I don't believe to be saved. Yeah, right. And so, 
you know, that's why God saved Noah from the, from the deluge. He walked with God. He mm -hmm. believed in God. He was mm -hmm. a righteous individual. Mm -hmm. But he also possibly had been pure Tamayim bloodlines. Could there have been more to mm -hmm. it? Could have been more. And so here's God. He destroys the physical bodies of the Nephilim. And I believe it's both punishment for what their fathers had done and also to rid the earth of their corruption. Yeah, the Bible says the earth was full of violence, and every thought of man's heart was, was centered on wickedness all of the time. Mm -hmm. That's what it that's the, was the description of those that were living during that day. Right. And so then we have to ask, well, did it work? Did the flood work? Did it rid the earth of these Nephilim, these corrupted individuals? And, you know, I have to say the answer is yes, but also potentially no. Yeah, because you read some scriptures earlier of accounts that happened after the flood right. and the presence of physical giants. Yes. Now, oh, I don't know that we're saying that those guys were necessarily descendants of the other people, but uh, that were before the flood, I guess there's potentially some kind of possibility there. I don't know. But but it is interesting. If they were all destroyed, then why do we read about this race later? Exactly. Mm -hmm. And so we know the physical bodies of the Nephilim, they were destroyed in the flood. But something, what we were talking about, is something has allowed the Nephilim, if they are, um, you know, if the Raphaim are mm -hmm. connected to the Nephilim, to reconstitute after the flood. And so this creates a, a very deep mystery. Yeah, that's the hard part to connect. Uh, okay, if they were all destroyed, how did they? How did their descendants survive? That's the hard part to connect the two. That's why I say, is there a possibility that these may not have been related at all, that this could have just been some type of physical anomaly? And you're going to talk about physical anomalies, I believe, in a little while. Mm -hmm. But, and that's, I guess that's an option. But I do think that a lot of people believe those two are related. Yes, just based you know, solely upon the descriptions of mm -hmm. the Raphaim and how they match the descriptions yeah. of the Nephilim. And so it does create this really deep mystery that is seemingly impossible to solve. Yes. Or is it? Boy, it's tough. It is tough. Uh, every, every explanation of how this could have happened, really, to be honest with you, from my viewpoint, doesn't seem plausible. Right. Well, uh, so there's, there's three mm -hmm. possible answers yeah. that we can look at. I'm not saying that they're the only three available. Yeah. Because God knows. That's all that really is important that he knows. We don't really need to know, nor yeah. should we even really care. Right. But it is interesting to talk about. So I think that there are three possible answers. One you brought up. Maybe they're not connected at all. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's a totally different... Yeah race of, of human or humanoids or, or something like that. That's one. Um, there's another one that, you know, God saved Noah because Noah's bloodline, you know, if we go down this line of thinking, the speculative line of thinking, Noah's bloodline was pure. He was a pure man. But Noah wasn't the only one on the boat. No, he wasn't. And, uh, you know, if you say Noah's bloodline was pure, then I think you would have to hopefully assume that his sons were a part of that. Mm -hmm. Although, 
you know, Noah was married to a wife as well. But, I, you know, if Noah was saved because he was of that pure bloodline, it doesn't make it's kind of interesting to think that God would know that he would have a wife that wasn't. But those sons had wives too. Yes, they did. Mm-hmm. Uh, because there were eight in all that were mm-hmm. saved. And Noah is the only one that's mentioned as being Tamaim or pure. I'm not saying the others weren't, just like what you said. It would seem kind of strange for God to, you know, allow that on the ship, but it, it's really one of those unsaid things. There were eight, and all it would take would be one. All it would take would be one. So, mm-hmm. so here's the first. Here's here's the second possible explanation: is that one of the wives of mm-hmm. Noah's sons, if not one of Noah's sons, but that seems highly unlikely. Like if, I said, if Noah's bloodline was pure. Yeah, it's like I said. I all of the 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 possibilities here hard for me to see although it's possible well and we're not saying that one of one of the wives of noah's sons had any kind of relationship with you know one of the fallen angels i'm not saying that at all no, i'm saying that there are generations somebody in her blood somebody way back in her bloodline may have had con- that kind of contact we just don't know mm-hmm. um so it could have been one of the wives or noah's sons uh, that carried this nephilim code in their genetic code Mm-hmm. If it's genetic, right? That's one. Is there, let me ask you this. Is there any evidence to support uh, the Nephilim as potentially being a genetic disorder? If, if you study cases of gigantic or tall or big people today, maybe you find something that's causing that, you know, that causes that size. The, the, the issue is how can we tie the, the two together? Right. You know, that's the leap. Yeah, that is a leap. That would take a tremendous leap to get there. Uh, but there is some evidence, as you mentioned, mm-hmm. that there is a genetic mutation that causes a condition known as gigantism. Mm-hmm. And it's a very, very rare condition. It is rare nowadays. And it happens, I mean, there are people that have this condition today. Mm-hmm. And what they have found is that gigantism is caused by a DNA mutation. Yeah. And it results, this mutation results in a tumor on the pituitary gland, and this tumor somehow restricts the pituitary gland from shutting down the growth process. Right. Okay? They discontinue. And the only way to treat gigantism is to surgically remove the tumor. And Mm -hmm. and they do that when they're children in order to prevent them from just continuing to grow. Now, people in modern day, people with gigantism can reach over eight feet in height. Yeah. As a matter of fact, the tallest person, world record, uh, was a guy named Robert Wadlow, and he was 8 foot 11 inches. And when you think about that, and you think about what Paul, uh, Pastor Paul said earlier about Goliath, I mean, Robert Wadlow was close to the size, the height of Goliath. He was. I mean, 8 feet 11 inches, that's, that's right at 9 feet. It is. Mm-hmm. So uh, Goliath would have been about maybe 6 to 8 inches taller, mm-hmm. basically, yeah. That's pretty tall. Mm-hmm. Um, he wouldn't fit in our studio. Lord, no. No, he would not. Mm-hmm. So is there a connection between the Nephilim and gigantism? I mean, that's the question, right? 
if you think about the Nephilim, their DNA code being passed down throughout generations, then it makes a little bit of sense to arrive at this possibility. Could be. Could be. This whole uh, talk is full of could be's. Okay, it? it is. This is a could be <laughs> talk. And we know that giants existed after the flood. We talked about that. We referenced the scriptures supporting that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other less plausible explanation, the third explanation, is really less plausible, in my opinion, for the reemergence of the giants after the flood, is, is kind of found in the writings attributed to Enoch. And according to First Enoch in chapter 15, the children of the watchers were destroyed. However, their spirits remain trapped on the earth. In verse 9, we read this right here from the first book of Enoch. The spirits that have gone forth from the body of their flesh, and he's talking about the Nephilim, Mm -hmm. are evil spirits. For from humans they came into being, and from the holy watchers was the origin of their creation. In other words, the fallen angels are the fathers Mm -hmm. of these uh, Nephilim. Evil spirits, they will be on the earth, and evil spirits, they will be called. And so this second, or not the second, but this third possible reason that giants reemerged proposes a theory that the evil spirits of the Nephilim at some point were able to once again have sexual relations with women producing or, or reconstituting, you know, more giants. Yeah. Uh, that's pretty implausible. I think that's implausible because why wouldn't that be happening now? I mean, yeah. we, we should be seeing examples because these are immortal. These spirits are immortal, mm-hmm. and and they will live. Mm-hmm. We will die, but they will live. Mm-hmm. And, and so I, I agree with you. I think that's somewhat unbelievable. But it's interesting, though, that, that we have this myth out there from the medieval times and probably dates back earlier, but we know about it in the medieval times, this myth of people who had really bad nightmares mm-hmm. and they would call them night terrors. I've known, I've known people that have come to my office that have talked about these things. Okay. It says this, this, this condition, these night terrors, it says that they were sexually abused by evil spirits mm-hmm. during the night while they slept. And these evil spirits, were referred to as the incubi or the succubi, the incubus and the succubus. You say, oh, my goodness, this is awful. I don't want to hear this. I've actually had some people in the time that I've been serving the Lord have come to me and said they've had these experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, and so basically what these the, the incubus or the succubus would be, or it would be the incubus would, is the male evil spirit mm-hmm. that would mm-hmm. force themselves female. upon a female, and the succubus were the female evil spirits that would force themselves onto mm-hmm. males at night as they slept or as they dreamed. Interesting. Yeah. Um, like I said, I have heard of of people having these type of experiences before. Now, if you're listening out here, one of the things I think we should stop and tell you right now, if you're a believer in Jesus, you have, you don't have any fear. The Bible says that your uh, inheritance is to lay down and sleep with sweet rest. Yes. Okay. And uh, in any instance that I have seen people that have talked to me about these experiences, when we have dealt with them in a spiritual way, they've gone away. Yes. They have stopped. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, it's an attack, basically. It's just an attack right. of, a, of a demonic spirit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
And I don't know of any any recorded incidents of the succubus or the I don't incubus either. being able to impregnate. I, once again, people saying they've had these experiences is one thing. Having children as a, as a product of these experiences, I've never seen that. I haven't seen it, read it, or found mm. any evidence of that. So that's why we're saying this one theory seems implausible. Very implausible. Mm-hmm. And so, really, um, who are the Nephilim? Well, you didn't say there could have been a stowaway on the ark. There could have been a giant <laughs> clinging to yeah. one of the barnacles. <laughs> a big guy. On the ship. Uh, Noah, who's the big guy in the back behind the elephant? <laughs> uh, so, we really don't know. We, re- we, we, we don't have 100% uh, defining, a defining or definitive answer for who the Nephilim are. Have we ever thought possibly that the main reason that these people were targeted for extinction by God under the flood was not necessarily because of their size, but because of their spirit, because of what they carried within them. Um, yeah, as a matter of fact. Yeah, and possibly... Uh, you know, it's possible, like you said, that that one of the wives carried the genetic mutation without being, without having the spirit within her. I, I don't know. You know, it, it, there's a lot of interesting thoughts about this, but but what Pastor Paul and I are trying to say when you look at all the theories. Uh, you 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 just come up with uh, that doesn't sound like that could have happened, and so mm-hmm. yeah, as to how it began, how it was before the flood, and then continued after the flood. Yeah, so we really don't know. There are a few tantalizing clues mm-hmm. that we've looked at today. Yes, we have. I would just say that, uh, in my opinion, that not that that you can get anything for that. I said maybe a, a cup of cheap coffee. Okay. Uh, if you had fifty cents or seventy, if, or maybe a dollar now, a dollar fifty, yeah, yeah, not that expensive. Yeah. Um, when I look at the Hebraic entomological research, um, meaning you know the research of the meanings of words and mm-hmm. cultural meanings of the languages, I think that they're genetic creations from a strange incident in the Bible where fallen angels had sex with human women and they produced this particular offspring now were they giants i don't know it looks like they were according to the descriptions in the bible um were they supernatural did they have supernatural powers i don't know i don't really care because uh, mm. they're not here today now i've heard some people say oh they're coming back the nephilim are coming back i don't know how that's going to happen as long as we are here as the church um so yeah this seems to be Brothers and sisters, now hopefully this will make you feel better out there. This seems to be a period of time that is past, okay? Now, Parkey could be wrong, but it seems to be a period of time in history that has passed, and whatever the reason that was causing this to happen has been dealt with, and it it is not... Uh, it, it, and that reason, whatever was that was, it was dealt with, has ceased that type of uh, human uh, spirit connection that created these beings. Yes. 
And then there are others out there that have proposed a Sumerian uh, explanation of the Anunnaki of mm-hmm. being a race from another world <laughs> coming in and, and you know, using CRISPR, some kind of CRISPR technology to, oh, my land, huh? to uh, you know, manipulate our DNA, and, and that's maybe where they came from. I don't know. It just looks like to me that the crossbreeding of spiritual beings with flesh caused something to happen uh, to the human genetic code at that point in time. It's, I'm not saying it's carried over. It could be. I'm not saying it is. It just seems like it is a gen, it's part of it's like a genetic issue. It does appear that way. It does appear that way. Now, once again, uh, it appears like it's been dealt with. That doesn't mean uh, that the period of evil spirits trying to unite with humans uh, in the sp- spirit to spirit has ended. Right. But the the ability to come in and produce. Uh, uh, Children, mm-hmm. uh, descendants, uh, through that type of union appears to have been stopped by God. Thank you, Jesus. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, and so, when you look at the the if you if you start trying to make these connections between the Nephilim, the Rephaim, and gigantism of today, we know that based on the biblical descriptions that the Nephilim and the Rephaim were much larger in size than today's, uh, the folks that have gigantism of today, because their maximum height, uh, we know, world record, 8 foot 11 inches. That's tall. Mm-hmm. That's, not, that's nothing to shake a stick at for sure, but I believe that the Nephilim and the Rephaim reached anywhere from 15 feet to 20 feet in height. It's, it, it's possible. I mean, you know, when you read some of the... Ancient, well, there maybe not are all such ancient writings. They're attributed, they're writings about ancient periods, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. following the book of Enoch and, uh, you know, other, other expoundatory writings. Uh, you know, you can read some pretty fantastic sizes. You can. 42 feet tall, okay. you know, whatever. Wow. Yeah. It's kind of like, oh, come on, I don't, I don't know about that. Did you know? that in July of 1919, that there was a newspaper in Austin, Texas, that reported a story of a giant skeleton that was unearthed in Seymour, Texas. Mm -hmm. And that this oil prospector is the one who discovered it, and that it was estimated that this skeleton uh, would have been 18 feet tall. Human skeleton. That's what they say. Human skeleton, 18 foot tall. Wow. That's pretty amazing if that's yeah. true. Yeah, if that's true. That's pretty amazing. So w- when you look at it from these different perspectives and these different ancient writings, like you said, and you put all these pieces together, you use a little Enoch over here, you mix in a little Genesis 6, you've got the other Old Testament accounts, you've got mm-hmm. some archaeological evidence, then it starts painting this picture of a race of very large and tall individuals. You know, we've jumped around and talked about a lot of uh, biblical sources and extra biblical sources to try to fill in the holes of the biblical sources. But remember, 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 the most important thing is, is what's written in the Bible. Yes. Okay. And that you know to be true. Mm -hmm. Okay. And you can study the Bible and make some conclusions from what is being said there, that there were apparently giants. There were these large individuals physically, 
but they also had a spiritual dynamic about them that was that was inclined strongly mm-hmm. to evil. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, like you said, when you see gigantism today, however you say that term, if I'm not saying that right, forgive me. You know, it doesn't necessarily mean that person ha- carries this evil within them. This oh, no, yeah. this spiritual type evil. So that whatever that was, that that connection has been has been severed. Yes, yes. Praise God, like I said. Yes. And when you get, when we get back to, you know, the height of these of these uh Nephilim or these Raphaim, if they were indeed 15 or 20 feet tall or even taller, who knows? Mm-hmm. That would explain why the men of Moses, the ones that spied out the land of Canaan yeah, before the Israelites entered into the promised land, that they came back saying that the land was full of giants that made them look like grasshoppers. Exactly. That does, you know, because they could have used a lot of metaphors there, and maybe, maybe they were exaggerating. That's what I was getting to. Like you said, okay, they're exaggerating because they wanted to make a point. They wanted to verify their fear, and that's probably what was going on. But you know, you could have. They could have said, "We look like children." They could have said that next to them. Well, that's a whole different perspective. You know, a child is a little taller. A grasshopper to a human, that's quite a disparity. Now, like I said, that Pastor Paul and I are not saying they were that tall, 15, 20 feet tall, uh, but uh, they could have just been an exaggeration used by those men to try to convince Moses. Yes. But, uh, but anyway, it's very interesting, isn't it? It is. And so today I would say that I had a Nephilim or a Raphaim salad. Oh, Okay. And I, well, you know, we hope you've enjoyed these talks. Once again, these are fun talks. These are not uh, talks about your salvation. They're, they're fun things that we talk about in the Bible. The Bible is an amazing book to discover, to read. There are things in the Bible, in the book of Revelation. There are things in the book of Genesis, uh, the beginning and the end, that we, we're just not going to know until we get to heaven, uh, until everything is over. But they're fun to talk about. They're fun to to uh, to uh, just discuss. But you know, probably after uh, after this uh, discussion, then we'll move off the off of the sons of Shemp and and. Yeah, <laughs> 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 yeah. Oh, that was curly, and was and curly. go on to something yeah. else. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's it for now. Uh, we love you guys and yeah, gals, and uh, God bless you and. You know, just remember to stay in the Word, to stay alert, and be not deceived. Yeah, and if you need anything, we're being serious now. Yeah, it's absolutely. fun to laugh. But if you need anything, please let us know. We, we really want to help you. Yes, we do. God bless you guys. God bless you.